Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and we are on to another episode this month. And man, this this month is, uh, man, we got a, an awesome guest and friend of mine that I've been dying to get on this show. But before we get to our guest, Coach Mike Hanson, the co-host, is in the house again. Coach, say what's up. Hey, everybody. Happy to be back. Wrapping up the school year here. So it's a, kind of an exciting time and it's already about to hit 90 degrees in Austin. So... Right. I'm preparing for another hot summer. Mike, are you ready for this? You like this Austin heat coming from Minnesota? You like uh, it or you're not feeling it? I'm I'm loyal to Minnesota. I'm a loyal Midwestern. <laughs> I don't do well in the heat. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, we're glad you're back on the show, Mike. Appreciate all your, your help leading this. And, and uh, without further ado, let's get on to our, our special guest, good friend of mine, Coach Matt Delancey from the University of Florida. Go ahead, Coach Matt. Welcome to the show. Hi, Donnie. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you, Michael. Yeah. Hey, man. I know you're busy with uh, volleyball prep going into this bubble. And uh, we really appreciate you just carving out a few moments to, to educate and just talk some shop today, man. Sounds good. How's things down in Gainesville? Is it heating up down there a little bit? What's going it's on? It's actually uh, been pretty cool down here. We've uh, been enjoying some 60 to 70 degree weather the last couple of days. It's been really nice. No, no humidity right now. Nothing like that. Uh, it's a little humid, but it's not like it normally is at this time of the year. Give it a week; it'll be uh, it'll be Gainesville hot. Yeah, I tell you what, I uh, being being in Texas, gain. I've been to Gainesville a couple times, and you know, you realize how soft you are when you go to Gainesville, and you get that. You think it's <laughs> you think it's hot here, and you go down there, and you get the heat with the humidity. Then you realize that's a different, special kind of heat. Whole different, whole different world. I'm a Pennsylvania guy, so this was a shock to me when I first got down here. Right, right. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Real quick, just a brief introduction, and we're going to let let uh, Coach Delancey kind of kick it off. But uh, Matt's just a, a good colleague and friend of mine. I've really got to know Matt uh, probably more when a good friend and colleague of ours, Jesse Ackerman, they worked together at Florida when Jesse Ackerman was football, and then Matt, of course, on the Olympic side. But this is uh, Coach Delancey's 19th year. And if you've ever followed or listened to Coach Matt, uh, not only is he great at what he does, but very passionate, in my opinion, has just a, a deep passion and love for his student athletes in the, in the profession and just really a master at his craft. And so that's something that's really always drawn me to him. And then he's just an honest, if you've ever been around Coach Delancey, he's going to keep it real. He's going to shoot you straight. You're not going to wonder, like, I wonder what he was thinking right there. So he's that kind of a guy. Um, in my opinion, too, uh, you're the Lord of the Rings. If you've ever seen, he's got more national championships than anybody I know uh, in this, this industry. So you're up there with that. But again, most importantly, you're a great guy. You love love what you do. And you've, you've definitely been a good friend and helped me through some stuff. So without further ado, Matt, we're glad you're here. Can you just take a moment and talk about your, your history in this profession and what's led you up to your 19th career or 19th year at Florida there now currently? Well, uh, I guess you could say uh, my career started at East Stroudsburg when I was doing my undergraduate degree in physical education and health, five-year major. Went from uh, East Stroudsburg to high school coaching and teaching. And then from there, I went to Europe and played and coached in the uh, European Federation of American Football in Austria. Came back to grad school at Northern Illinois. Left school early because my mom got ill. I took an internship at the University of Richmond. The summer of 2002, and uh, I was like, if I'm going to do it, might as well do it big. So I went and applied to like 60 different schools for an internship. Only four schools replied to me. One was Florida. And I came down to Rutwood and interned with Rob Glass and got hired in May of 2003. And I've been I've been at Florida since 2000 and since, an, since I was an intern in 2002. And um, currently I'm the associate director. I've, I've worked with uh, swimming and diving, gators, uh, track and field, and cross country, and gator volleyball. And recently, swimming has come off my plate because I've had too many athletes for a long time. So we've hired Tracy Zimmer, and she's done a phenomenal job taking care of uh, lacrosse and swimming and diving. So it's kind of where I'm at in my career right now. That's awesome. 
usually just juggling track and field athletes, which typically is well over a hundred is enough in itself to fill a plate. But then when you add in men and women swimming and then volleyball over those years, like I can't imagine your time management skills, how that's grown. But um, speaking kind of how you've grown um, again, you talked about, you've been at Florida for 15 plus years. You've worked with, it sounds like hundreds of athletes each and every year. So how have you as a coach with regards to your philosophy and your approach to training, how has that evolved over those 15 plus years of being a coach at Florida? Well, there's a few consistent things that I still do. One is I'm going to, I'm going to always start with some with assessments and find out where athletes are either coming in as freshmen or coming back from, from some time off after their season. So we're always going to start with assessments, but some of my core beliefs have modified or changed over the years. Squat depth is one of them. Like squat depth used to be, I think I was religious about, Oh my God, you got to squat parallel or below parallel. And like now it's, I'm along the lines of everybody's squat depth is kind of their squat depth. And if it can be improved, we'll work on it. But if there's factors that limit it, then we're, we're not going to lose our mind on it. So just to give you an example, but I'm always going to start with assessments. The terms of philosophy, I don't necessarily have a philosophy. I operate with systems and I don't really design training programs until I've done an assessment with, with an athlete. There are going to be some things that I always do. Unless there's something that's contraindicated, I'm, I'm going to always start with an overhead squat assessment and build into teaching them how to snatch. We're going to work on learning how to clean properly, and we're going to learn how to do some sort of a squat variation, whether it's a, a back squat, a front squat, a, a trap bar. There might be some kids that live on a leg press. We've had that as well. So, I mean, sure. those are kind of my key fundamentals with a lot of what I do. Like when I go back, I'll look at, sometimes I get on my computer and look at my, my programs from like year one to year now. and I'll look at 15 year, 10 year and five year. And I'll look at them like, what was I doing? <laughs> yeah. I think we all do that. Absolutely. And then how, like, so you talk about having, you want to assess your athletes and then from there you can make decisions about again, how you periodize or how you program for each of those athletes. Does the context, I mean, it's kind of a leading question, but does the context of the sport they play or the demands of which that athletes placed in, does that play a role with regards to your assessment of the athlete or is it just kind of a general assessment that you give all your athletes? Well, the assessment, I'm, I'm going to start with an overhead squat always. And okay. at this point, like when I was training swimming, I knew that for most of them, I'm going to probably see the stick because we were using a wooden dowel. Yep. I'm going to see the wooden dowel come forward because most of them have like some sort of upper cross syndrome when they come in the door. There are things for swim that I'm like, okay, these are th some things that could cause issues down the road. I'm going to look for that specifically. So for the swimmers, if you don't correct that over time, they, they'll they have some sort of rotator cuff injury or labrum injury. So that's something I'm looking for on them. Now, volleyballers, when I'm looking at their assessment, I'm truly starting from the foot up. And if I see any kind of pronation at the ankle, we're going to hammer that pronation often early because pronation at the ankle leads to can lead to some sort of a major ACL injury if you're not managing that. So, so for the assessment, I'm looking for what I know are key fundamental issues for those athletes. And for track, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the overall uh, or lower cross syndrome because a lot of sprinters coming in just are so over, they're so overarched in their lower backs, which means they're, you know, hip flexor dominant and their glutes aren't functioning correctly. And they probably got some synergistically dominant hamstrings. And if you don't manage that, that's a major hamstring at some point. So for the assessments, I kind of like, these are the major things I'm looking for for these sports. And then once I've kind of worked through that and if there's anything else that pops up, if I get all I need out of the overhead squat, we'll progress through snatch transfer series. If I see something in that overhead squat, I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. I might, I might block the heel just to see what I get. Now I don't block heels when, when we squat, that's just not within my training system. But in terms of an evaluation, I think blocking the heel shows you what's, what's really happening in, in that overhead squat. So, or I might add in some sort of a jump single leg jump or single leg squat just to kind of to dial in on what's really happening with whatever dysfunction I, I see. So I start out broad. I have a general idea about each sport and then we get into the details. And most of my individualization comes through and I, this. Maybe this isn't, the, I'm not a fan of this word, but I don't have a better one for it. It comes through the correctors program. So for me, our correctors program is also our warm up and out of season. It's, it's very individualized, but by the time you get into season, most sports athletes start to kind of show the same dysfunction in season because they're all very similar movement patterns. And so 
unless there's something that's really off, it's a general correctives program for our warmups pretty much every day of the week, regardless of sport I'm working with. No, that's awesome. That warmups just, I mean, that's a, like you said, like correctives maybe isn't the right word, but it's definitely the right place to address what you're saying is the needs of those athletes. So that's where you're going to find the individuality of your programs. Isn't that and, and the way I explain it to the athletes too, and this is kind of the talk I have with my coaches, look, I'm trying to get our athletes into better human alignment before we move. Better human alignment before activity. You're more efficient as an athlete. If you're more efficient as an athlete, you're incurring less muscle damage. You're going to recover better after the session, whether it's practice, weights, whatever it is, you get them into better alignment. You have a more efficient athlete. For sure. That's, that's huge. That's really what I'm I'm working towards. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I like too, I think. Matt, you made me think because I like I love your approach about those correctives, even though it's that's a tough word, but it's true. You try to get kids or athletes to move not only cleaner but more efficiently. But you know, there's there's some asymmetries in there to play your sport or position yeah. at a high level. You just gotta you're not gonna fix it, but you gotta manage the gap. Manage it, you have to manage it. Yeah. So that's that's the way I've always kind of looked at it too. Like they're gonna be doing this thousands of times but if we don't address this then it's going to be a big issue i'm my you know one of those you look at most of our volleyballers they're going to have an asymmetrical shift when they squat just because they're whatever their non-dominant leg is in terms of their hitting arm they're going to land on that a lot they're going to have asymmetries just because of that and if if they have it for me that's looking at the ankle if they're moving with a neutral ankle and their knee is lined up between second and third toe and there's no symptoms with that then that's just something I don't, I don't even say much to the athletes. I don't want to put it in their head. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's, that's where the art of coaching comes in in that area. That's good. I got a little change of questions here for you. A little, little bit more 50,000 foot view. Uh, Matt, you've seen yep. a lot of success with the teams you've worked with as well as Olympians after college. So you've seen a lot of world-class high level athletes kind of what have been some key traits and characteristics that you have seen in these teams or even individuals? What have you seen in these, these kids? Well, the highest performers that I've worked with, whether it's the collegiate, the high performance collegiate level or the high performance international level, they're all resilient mentally and physically, because if you're available to train, you have a better shot at getting better. So they're physically resilient. They're mentally resilient. They handle adversity better than their counterparts. They're very consistent in the outside habits that matter most. Going to bed early, eating properly, hydrating well, taking their multivitamins, whatever their supplements that they need to take, then they're, they're consistent in all of those habits. To me, the ones that don't sleep, they don't, and that's, we, we deal with, the, you know, you deal with that too. We deal, the ones that don't sleep, those are the ones that are injured the most, they're missing practice, they're, when they are available for practice, their efforts not where it should be, and they're not going to get better. So to me, consistent in the non-visual sports performance habits that we really can't control because they're outside of us. Those That's really the key variables in the high performers. Yeah, I've always said it's kind of like, I mean, if a kid can't lead themselves very well, they're just not going to do anything well. I mean, I see it with my men's tennis team. We've got especially one individual that just – he just, his sleep habits right now are just all over the map and you see it in his performance. And he's a younger guy. He's kind of trying to figure it out right now and kind of growing up some, but yeah, you totally see a kick over into the court. So for sure. Anything else to add to that, Mike? No, I don't think so. I just, I think like kind of what you said, coach Delancey about championship teams, like they're the ones who are going to be on top of those things that are probably educated to them throughout the year by their sport coach or strength coach, you know, whoever, whether it's nutrition, sleep, et cetera. It's like, it's like those intangibles of athletes who are kind of all in per se is, I mean, that's the same thing I've seen is those successful teams. They care about the details. They care about those little things. And so it's kind of like when you look back on a year, no wonder that team did so well. They probably supported each other. They prioritize things like that. So, um, no, we had, uh, go ahead. Our, our 2017 volleyball team made the national championship match. We lost to Nebraska, but the year before that, we got knocked out in the round of 32 by Florida State at home. So round of 32 to make it the national championship match. And the biggest difference was in season, seniors decided they were going to go dry. They held their teammates accountable to that. And we had zero practices missed that whole fall. Our players were the healthiest they'd ever been. And, and their body comps literally – on average, I think we gained two pounds of muscle 
and lost. I don't. We lost maybe average pound of fat or something per athlete. Yeah. In season, you don't. You know, you don't typically see that. So, mm-hmm. all the right things at that point. I can tell you that in eighteen and nineteen, the thing that held us back most is those athletes. They rebelled a little bit against going dry policy, and uh, they it showed it showed in our postseason play. It's a long season, and, and if you're not taking care of your details, because I mean, alcohol interferes with sleep too. I mean, it's not just you just drink alcohol, and that's it. It's, it interferes with everything. So we we definitely saw in that. I think the pandemic has also helped us get back to being a little more dry because we can't go out. Right. So right. we've seen a healthier team through the fall and the spring this year. I think, again, it relates to alcohol. I really, uh, I don't think I can say enough. And I know that my best track and swim athletes, when they're in heavy training, like Grant Holloway is a great example. He just broke the world record in the 60 meter indoor hurdles. And he might drink a glass of wine with dinner every once in a while. And that's it. Grant gets to bed early. He wakes wakes up, has breakfast, sleeps probably nine nine hours every night. And Caleb Dressel's in the same boat, treats it the same way. And um, those guys are both world record holders. They sleep well. They eat well. They do a lot of things right. They manage their day to day stressors too. They never really seen either of those guys have a a lot of relationship stress, which I think is also a key factor. For sure. And. Uh, so I, it just reinforces what we're, what we're what we've already talked about. A uh, good good friend of mine and Coach Hanson's met him recently. You know him too, but Coach Path, Dan Path. Yep. He, years ago, he worked at Texas. Matt, he used to have this saying. He says, uh, "You know, Sixth Street here in Austin's like where all the college kids go." And yep. uh, during the pandemic, obviously, it's been shut down quite a bit. But he used to always say, you can't be all American and all Sixth Street at the same time. You got to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fact. That's a fact. You know, buddy, his dad, Dan was like at one point, too. He was what? He was at Florida for two years. Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Dan, I so I got the I got to learn from Dan early in my career. I think it was 04 through 06. I, I was that's when I was starting to pick up field events. I wasn't programming yet. I was learning from Dan while he was here programming for field vets so oh man that's awesome he's had a, he's had his thumbprint on a lot of us he's a he's a great he does mentor he really does but um good stuff i got one more question and i'll kick it to mike so this kind of our podcast is the team behind the team so matt that's strength and conditioning athletic or sports medicine sports nutrition applied sports science and mental health or behavioral health how would you define performance team model and then give us a glimpse of what that looks like for you there at Florida behind the scenes? So the team, our job is to support our athletes so that they can be the best they can be. That's the bottom line, right? So the way I see each member of the team is that we're all going to have areas that overlap with each and we all have to be comfortable with each other kind of being into each other's area sometimes. I think sometimes when I hear people use the terms of like stay in your lane and those really detrimental terms to a performance team. I think there are some things that I do that overlap with athletic training or some things that athletic trainers do that overlap with us and nutrition and vice versa. And we're all here to help support each other's world. So for me, the performance team is an integrate to athletes, um, athletic endeavor. Also, we're trying to help them be as healthy as possible. Sometimes healthy isn't the right word. I think it's healthy as possible. Just if you play, you're going to break down. I mean, that's part of the deal. So the goal of the performance team is to support the athletes endeavors. And I, I think that when, when everybody's communicating and you respect each knowledge and experience or allow natural overlap that happens and you're not getting letting your ego get in the way. I think it's when performance teams, um, we're at their highest levels. Good. What about, give us an example, like a pick a day, whether it's volleyball or track, maybe, or do you see those performance teams? Do they operate a little differently in each team? Maybe for sure. Track and field's a different approach. So track has our um, coach. Welty's one of our associate head coaches and she's been at Florida for a long time. She's the glue of our whole staff. Like, the athletes go to her. They kind of see her as team mom a little bit. 
she kind of coordinates a lot of the things that are happening around the scene. So I think she's Mouse's right arm. Honestly, Mouse is our head coach. So if we have an athlete that playing track, it's about being at your ideal body weight, which is with the, it's one or two pounds for, for those cats. And um, if somebody's overweight, she'll talk to the whole support staff or uh, performance team and we'll, we'll talk and we'll have a plan of action for that athlete. And we're all involved in whatever our nutritionist or dietitian Abby says, I'll reinforce it with the kid behind the scenes, obviously not in front of other athletes, but behind the scenes, I'll kind of reinforce what Abby has said. And Abby will reinforce what I've said and coach wealthy will reinforce what everybody else has said. And I think in that, in the track and field world that we have in Florida, we do a pretty good job of um, operating outside of silos. Right. And for volleyball, it's um, it's more like Mary just lets us handle our jobs. Like we've all been working long enough to know where and I use body weights. I think it's the easiest one to to look at because it's we all deal with body weights. So if, if we have an overweight athlete in volleyball, Randall, our athletic trainer, or myself, we might ask a question along the lines of. Hey, do you think so-and-so is moving as well as they could be? And typically we're asking that question because in our head, we're like, we think they're overweight, but we don't necessarily tell the coach that. And the coach will say, ah, they could probably be a little quicker. And then if I get that feedback, then we'll sit there and we'll talk to Hillary, our dietitian, and we'll talk to our team doc, Dr. Padilla, and we'll, we'll look at some standards. And, and then at some point, um, typically in season, we don't try to manage that at that point because it's during season but if once we get out of season if that athlete hasn't graduated then we're there's a conversation with the athlete about hey where do you think your body weight should be and then we and then we all as a staff kind of move it forward from there so i think that's a pretty good example of how two two different teams are accomplishing something similar but by different different methods but at the end of the day the, the professionals are allowed to do their jobs right and it's and every team is different depending on the people in the room. And then, I mean, honestly, how the head coach kind of leads too, you know, yep. and, uh, how they, they uh, interact with each one of you, maybe a little differently. That changes the dynamics, the flow of information, how it's handled and how it's deciphered and reports are kind of given out. And then you have interventions and mitigation depending on the time of year. Like you said, I think time of year is key. Uh, what year the athlete is, and also the, the athlete individual, they have some risk there too. So I think that's all, that's pretty key, crucial stuff, good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And then, um, so pivoting topics just a little bit, we've kind of highlighted, you've, you've been with some really successful track and field teams, men and women swimming teams, volleyball, like very successful as Donnie alluded to with you being the Lord of the Rings. But how does your approach change um, with regards to training those teams in the weight room? Is there a bunch of differences as far as how you go about training those different sports, or is there quite a bit of overlap? Uh, the diff th there's overlap. I mean, the differences come into what we talked about earlier. It's, and it's from the assessment with the, uh, the correctives, right? So in order for, for me, I have a, I have a, my top five that I want to try to accomplish. And obviously some, some athletes aren't able to do some of the top five and there's modifications and the modifications are another area where, are very individualized per person because that also comes down to confidence for the athlete. For me, my top five, I'm going to always start with the overhead squat because it leads into snatching. And I think it's important to, rec to recognize that 18 years of working with athletes, we've never had problems with a snatch and shoulder injuries or elbow problems because I don't do max effort snatching. Okay. They're not Olympic lifters. We use the hang snatch. It's a power movement. It's a, it's a light and fast movement. I want them catching in a quarter squat power position. The height of your catch really determines what kind of weight you have on the bar because you can't catch in that power position. It's too heavy. Sure. So when I hear people are injuring athletes with snatches, I'm the first thing I think, well, they're max effort or they're just too heavy. Right. So I want, I just want to make that, differentiation so people understand that there is a difference between Olympic lifters and athletes. So when I do my assessment and I use an overhead squat, I feel like sometimes people forget where that overhead squat came from. You know, it's a great assessment tool, but it also came from learning how to snatch. 
So if you go from an overhead squat to a pressing snatch balance to a snatch balance and then to the to the hang snatch, that's all just the progression of the overhead squat. And as it becomes more complicated in movement and execution, you're going to find more dysfunction along the way. And by the time you're into a hang snatch, you've worked through a considerable amount of dysfunction that that helps them function better as an athlete. So I, I want to give that caveat because one of my number one is a hang snatch. And then I want to teach them how to clean clean properly. And I want to, I want to teach them how to have a squat variation that's done properly. And that squat variation could be any number of ways we squat. Right. And then I want to teach them how to hinge and push and pull and then uh, rotary work. So those are going to be, for most part, those are going to be very similar across the board. And now the manner in which they're implemented could be a little different. My shot putters and my hammer throwers might go through five by five cycles early in the year because five by five with those, they might put a little more mass on. But if I'm working with sprinters, we may never go over triples the whole year. Right. Um, so the, the nuances are within the actual programming of those exercises. And then there's some event stuff that I might do differently between not might do. I do do differently between all the different track events, obviously with DSs and liberos versus outside hitters and middles, I'm going to do a different court agility and jump program with my hitters than I am with my setter and my back row players. So I think the nuances really come in outside of the top five, because there's definitely something I want to, I want to get everybody consistent with, because I just think they build better overall general athletes. And then it's about identifying some key things for each athlete that, that they connect with and some of that might just be confidence-based. If a kid comes in and they feel that we had it, well, here's a great example. We had a shot putter, Kamal Message. He's a Bosnian dude. He was top three in the country. Um, unfortunately, he was competing against some guy at Texas and and uh, finished top three. It might have been Ryan Krauser at the time. I, yeah. I can't remember. He's okay. But, uh, he's decent. He's all right. But, so, but Kamal's thing was, I like to do bicep curls because – when I do bicep curls and I feel like my bicep is big, I feel like my arm is on a fulcrum and it's, and my bicep is like forcing my arm to help me throw the shot. So when he's telling me this, I'm like, dude, if bicep curls make you feel confident about throwing a shot, then let's do some bicep curls. Like, yeah, he's, you see, he's in there all the time. He's just always cranking through uh, easy curl bars and dumbbells and stuff and whatever it made him feel like it helped him so we're that's that's a nuance right i'm gonna allow that because the guys it was a real thing to him and maybe it is a real thing i don't know but for him it was definitely a real thing no that's awesome and it it sounds like i hear two principles surface there when you talk about differences or similarities across sports one is like we all have these tools but what you're saying is like it's a matter of how you're going to use that tool so you may have similarities in movement patterns but the differences may be in well, maybe it's volume, maybe it's load, you know, maybe you switch the movement pattern just a little bit and that's where you find the differences. And that's huge. I think that's, that's one thing I've come to learn over the last five years as a young strength coach is, is it's all a tool. It's just a matter of how you're going to use it. That's right. And, that, and then that second one is like giving that athlete autonomy, man, who cares if it's a placebo or not, if it makes them feel more confident, that probably speaks more to, you know, whatever rep ranges they're going to be hitting, doing that exercises, like whatever the physiological effects the co- the psychological effects are just as important huge. and certainly can be skipped over by quite a few coaches, you know? So that's hey, awesome. I, I want to back up to something you said earlier, Matt, about snatching. And so just kind of like, I, I love what you said about that. You know, and when Dan, like I said, when Dan was here back in the, my early, the late nineties, early two thousands, he would, they would bring in some therapists when I used to help a track and field early on here. Mike Leahy, I don't know if you ever heard of Mike Leahy. He yep. was one of the early kind of teachers, uh, practitioners of ART active release therapy. And so Mike, when I was talking to him, we would just have these side out. He would work on athletes and clean them up. And then uh, he was talking about, you know, shoulder health. And he said, really, honestly, one of the only lifts you can do that will strengthen the mid trap in the back of the sh- behind the shoulder is an overhead snatch. Yep. Because especially you think about, and Dan used to always talk about, you know, if you got an overhead athlete, they hit, they throw, do some kind of rotation with that one arm. 
you've got to address that space above their head, right? And you've got to do that in the weight room, obviously, safely. And then, but you've got to come up with exercises. If you don't get it strong, like Mike said, that 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 mid trap in the back with something overhead, you're going to have some shoulder problems down the road, especially with overhead athletes. So I loved yep. it. I thought that was uh was great what you said. And and to jump on that um, with volleyball, every time they come in the weight room, once we get through the the warm up correctives period. The very first thing we do after that, is we go through snatch transfer as part of the warm-up. And because, again, I, every day is an assessment to me because anything can pop up at any time in season or out of season. If they're learning a new technique in individuals, there might be something that we need to manage a little bit. But, like, we hit that all year round. And to me, our, our volleyball team does a great job with all this. Like, I'm the act of physical training, I think they just do a phenomenal job with it. Allows us to really work through some things. And we've had, I think, one shoulder surgery in, in 18 years. It was a rotator cuff muscle. It just wasn't, didn't work. Yeah. They had to, they had to address it. Right. came in with it. But we've been really healthy through our shoulders in my in my tenure here. And we've always done a version of this. Good stuff. I know as much as they internally rotate when they hit, you've got to do something that goes opposite yeah. to fix that, you know, over time. So, anyway. Like, yeah. Mike, you got any more questions for him? Um, you know, I was just curious, like kind of what you said there, coach Mabe. it's like when you do so much internal rotation at some point, there needs to be a counterbalance of balancing out that tissue or helping that joint understand that it also needs to externally rotate. So just curious, uh, coach Delancey, cause with swim volleyball, and then even like say a jab thrower, you've had a ton of experience with overhead athletes. Is there anything outside of snatching, which is obviously an outstanding exercise that you do to try to maybe address that for overhead athletes? In our, in our warm-ups, whether if in season, all of them, I'm in charge of our warm-ups as well. In season, out of season, every day of the week, we're going to do some version of eyes, wise, T's and A's, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. scat push-ups, scat retraction, and bam, pull-aparts. And it might only be one set, and it might just be like a microdose of, of exercise, but yeah. we are going to do, and swimming too, we're going to do some version of that every single time I see them. With swimming, I also had their dry lands, um, and we it was part of the dry land as well as the warm-up. So we will always do some version of what I mentioned there all every, every yeah. single day, and I think that does help manage that a lot. Yeah, just getting that scap to move through all the different planes. and yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, I, I think, you know, I want to jump on that. I think what I've seen, Matt and, and Mike, I'm sure you've seen this. You've done some of this with different athletes, but being able to assess when that scapula is frozen and it's stuck to the ribs, you can strengthen all you want around that. But if that scapula is frozen and it's not gliding, yep. the interior part of that shoulder is going to be lit up and you're going to overcompensate. There's going to be some inhibitions. Mechanically, swinging or hitting is going to be way off and it's going to just domino effect. And, man, you've got to figure out, like you said, sometimes it's not about getting stronger but getting that to move cleaner. Then back, yep. back up, fix that a little bit. Now let's move forward with the right stuff. Oh, you yeah. know, Jumping on that too is part of my one of my certifications is the corrective exercise specialization through NASM. And you know, I, I know there's a whole world of strength coaches that don't like trigger pointing and grids and trigger point balls and all that. But I'm like, we go through a some trigger point and stretch prior to doing our correctives every single time. And just listening to athletes self-report on that too is they feel better once they've done the trigger point stretching on overactive musculature allows you to get into those movements properly. So I don't know, you've seen us travel with volleyball. I don't know if you've seen them with their health packs that we have. We have a grid, a ball, bands, different things in there. And, a, you know, they're expected to have with them at all times. And when we're in the off season, I tell them, like, take it home with you. Make sure you have it with you. If you're in your apartment and you're sore on Friday, go through some of our trigger point stretch. And a lot of our kids are really good about it. And, um, and in season, it's always with them. And, I think that going into that, like we go through like some work through their scapulas with, with the grid. We'll do different things, you know, just trying to open up thoracic mobility too. But like, that's a great, a great point that you bring up. I think uh, before you do any of the corrective movements, setting it up with like SMR and some stretching helps, helps a lot as well. Yeah. I know in swimming, I mean, 
sometimes, luckily, like knock on wood here, we haven't had to deal with too many shoulder issues in the recent years. But when that does come up as a common point of injury for swimmers, it's one of the first things that I do is, you know, I'll have them lightly with just their hand, reach their arm overhead, do some controlled articular rotations. And it's like, are you seeing that scap move or is it kind of stuck in its place? And that can usually be the first point of, okay, this might be the problem. And then kind of what you're saying, coach Maeve is when that scap is stuck and it freezes and doesn't translate across that rib cage. That's something I see in rowers who run into rib issues is there's so much scap retraction that when they go to reach at the catch, when they're kind of reloading per se per stroke, that scap's not coming across. They're going to find that extra range of motion elsewhere. Um, and whether that taxes the rib pulling on their, or their serratus pulling on the rib or even the low back, like that's typically a good spot to, to try to investigate. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I, I know when I used to work with football guys, you would see this all the time. Anybody listen to this? If you do way too much bench press, you're going to get extreme internal rotation and your subscapularis is going to be inhibited and short and turned off and that scapula is going to be stuck. And you're just setting up for either a sublux or dislocation from a big hit. So posterior shoulder health and scapular health is fundamental for any kind of performance coach. So benching is a, it can be very risky. We, uh, this is probably going to get some hate. I don't know. We don't, I don't bench volleyball. Let's go. Let's go, man. I knew it. I knew it. I don't bench. I don't bench swimming. Like we do, we do a lot of overhead pressing and the closest we might come to, to bench is like dumbbell incline, but like, we we literally don't do traditional bench press. Within, I love it. Uh, I knew it in the training program. There's another reason I love you right there. Boom. <laughs> I mean, no, and tr- for track, like our sprinters, they like to look good in their jerseys. And again, that goes back to the nuance of look good, feel good, run good, right? So the sprinters will do a little bench. The, the jumpers will do a little bench. I don't write numbers on their cards because I'm like, I don't want a top heavy sprint jump athlete. It's the first thing I tell them. I don't want a top heavy sprint jump athlete. I know you guys like the feeling of it. It's a, you're only allowed to go light to moderate. If you are close to missing reps, I'm going to yell at you. And so they'll get a little bit of bench in. Outside of that, our throw crew, like our, you know, our shot putters, obviously they have to bench. Yeah. And you got to manage that. Um, the hammer throwers bench just to maintain some balance in their shoulders. We don't get crazy with it with the hammer throwers, but there is some benefit for a hammer guy to bench a little bit. Thomas, who just won the weight indoor. Um, and through 248 last weekend in the hammer opening up, he's uh, he likes to do a little bench. He feels good about it. He's a Norwegian dude, loves the bench. The uh, the jab kids, they, they we bench a little bit with them. But outside of that, we don't I'm not a bench press advocate. I, uh, I I sprinkle it here and there for and you have to have a real reason to bench press. So it's just not it's not now when I was younger, my first couple of years of volleyball, like my first two years, we would bench. Oh, yeah. We'd have, some shoulder discomfort and things. And at some point I'm like, ah, just cut it out. And we just did overheads and we've been, mm-hmm. we never looked back. For sure. And then, I mean, it's like you were saying, coach Mabe is like with every exercise, no matter how much we may fall in love with it as a coach, there's cons to it too, even if it's a great exercise. And so we talk about that with like the scat movement. It's like if that, the physical bench itself during a bench press is preventing our scaps from being able to, kind of rotate over um, as we push up, it's like, well, maybe there's some fallback to that. So I think with any exercises, you have to consider that as, and it's kind of like you're saying, Coach Delancey, well, if it's causing shoulder discomfort, is this worth it to us? And then you kind of reevaluate and then replan. And then you kind of keep doing that over the years. And maybe you end up with certain sports, they just don't even touch a barbell bench. So yeah. awesome. Hey, we're going to shift gears on the question. I'm going to take this question here and then Micah close us out. But um, Coach Matt, just change gears real quick. I I think this is a a topic that you like to talk about, but let's talk about qualities that you look for in young strength coaches. What qualities do you look for when hiring or bringing someone on board? And I I cannot wait to hear this. Go for it. The very first thing I'm looking for is someone with a growth mindset, regardless of their knowledge, experience, if they can come in with a growth mindset and willing to learn, because obviously interns are coming in to help us do our jobs. And if you can't help us do our jobs, you're not bringing any value to our, to our department, right? When I'm talking with somebody on the phone or Zooms or meeting person, it's these are the expectations. 
Growth mindset's number one. If you're not willing to learn our cues and what we do and how we do it, and it's different for every coach in the room because we don't micromanage our coaches. We hire good people and then we support them. So everybody's got a different way to go about what we do, strength and conditioning. And that's also appropriate because every team has different needs. So if the intern coming in doesn't have a growth mindset and you know it right away when you start talking to them because they'll get into the yeah, 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 yeah type, like trying to just get you <laughs> off the topic, right? Uh, I, I don't. I just don't invite those people to our room. I, I cause too many problems. You got too many people trying to put their spoon in the pudding, and um, I, every semester I got to let an intern go because they overstep somewhere, and I hate doing it. But you know, we we make it very clear: is like you got to come in with a growth mindset. You absolutely have to learn what we do. You have to check your ego at the door. To me, that's number one. Now, outside of that. They they got to have a great work ethic. You can't be a strength and conditioning professional and not have great work ethic. It doesn't work. Your coaches will eat you alive. You'll get you'll get fired out of your first job. You got to have a great work ethic. Early on in your career, you have to be willing to outwork everybody. I mean, we know that we were, we've all been in that. Um, so to me, growth mindset, work ethic are the two big ones. If you have if you have poor content knowledge, we can help you with that. That's that's something that I'm not I'm not concerned about that. We've had I've had plenty of interns come in that literally don't know a thing and they've stuck around for four or five semesters because they wanted to learn and they because they've done a good, good job, we've let them stick around. We've had peeps come in with great content knowledge and because they didn't necessarily agree with what our coaches, what we were doing, they washed out within a semester and some of them wash out within a month. And typically it's on their end because they just, they want a bigger role. They, they want, they want to, they want to put input in. So for me, that intern, that young strength coach, when you're coming in for an internship, growth mindset, work ethic, and willing to deal with lack of control. Those have to be the big three right there. That's awesome. Now, if you're, if you're a young strength coach, that has been hired and now you got the job the uh, advice might be a little different in terms. You still got to have a growth mindset. You still got to have a great work ethic. You have to be open-minded to everybody that's interacting with that team because everybody's opinion matters and they're coming at it with a different experience and a different knowledge content. And if you're not willing to listen, then you're going to miss out on some really key insight that there's no way you could have possibly had because you're not in that person's head thinking what they're thinking. So to me, if you're hired and you have the job and now you're in charge of the programming, open that, that's part of growth mindset, but that's, this is still like, I'll put that in a separate category. Cause I think a lot of people struggle with that early on. I mean, real, real quick, Mike, I think you hit a good, a sweet spot for me was just being able to learn how to really listen to people. And, and what I mean by listen is you not only hear what they're saying, you're not trying to formulate your next thought. And you know how to you ask more questions to let them know that you are listening. And then you take practical steps of behavioral change moving forward. And you see that and, and they, they become flexible and adaptable, that, that growth mindset versus they really don't hear you. They're just doing, well, that's not what I read in the book or that's not how I learned from so-and-so versus, no, this is how we do it here. This is our house. This is not so-and-so's house or this coach. This is how we operate here. So learning how to listen and learn, watch, and then kind of adapt and evolve, I think is is so hard to do for young coaches today. There's a lot of influencers with uh, social media that they, I think they're overwhelmed with the amount of information that's available yeah. to them. Yeah. And it's throwing <laughs> this, I'm going to say it, they're throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. <laughs> So right. <laughs> sorry for that. But um, I think that's that's a problem that this because we didn't necessarily have that when we were younger. It wasn't the Internet it was, oh, we got this book and we got we have to go talk to people and we have to pick up the phone and we cold call somebody. And like, I, I think that's a different concept than just going on Twitter and scrolling and reading and going on Instagram and seeing every fitness model do a bandit glute exercise incorrectly with overarch lower backs and like. I, I think it's just there's so much information that I think this young strength coach professionals right now are just so overwhelmed. And yeah, well, we live in a day and age where you can have 30,000 
followers on Instagram, but you really don't even know what you're doing. Exactly. Like, what What are you trying to, and I'm just like, but that's just the reality of the landscape. It's a wild, wild west right now. So I speaking of that, I, when we, when we screen interns, the first thing I do is I, I go look at their social media accounts. You I'm sure. To. Cause I want to see what they, what they're doing. I have an intern coming in and this kid, she had all the, all those categories and she's got an Instagram account that she posts everything she does. And that'll be something we manage. We'll manage that at some point. I'll talk to her about it probably and be like, Hey, you know, maybe you want to put your account private while you're a gator. Cause I don't want that feeding into our athletes or, you know, being an issue. So I think that, I think that's something that's important to manage these days because that can get out of hand. Yeah. I was to say with that, like new landscape of, you know, you can get all this information from everywhere so quickly and our, you know, young strength coaches, who's to know if this is legitimate information or not. I think that's one of the principles we try to equip our interns with is you need to have a filter. And whether that's, that's just understanding that this could be good, this could not be, or even finding a coach like coach Mabe who can mentor you and, you know, maybe lead you on your way as far as, well, maybe this is a good place to get information or maybe this isn't. Um, but having a filter, I think is what they need to be equipped with to be able to handle all that new information. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. But yeah, even, you know, kind of sticking to the young strength coach topic, uh, maybe a little bit more of a fun question for you, Coach Delancey, is if right now you could go back and talk to your younger strength coach self, what type of advice would you give yourself or what pieces of information would you share? Cut yourself some slack. You you don't need to know everything to be effective. You need to know what you are doing. You need to know that very well. So that, again, that goes back to being overwhelmed. So cut yourself some slack. Every loss and injury isn't the end of the world because when I was early, you know, you feel those losses and when a kid gets injured, you, you feel that too. And I think, um, I was, I would tell myself to cut yourself some slack. Don't lose so much sleep over athletes getting injured and losing because that's, that's part of the deal. Like you, you have to accept the fact that sports do have an injury rate associated with it, no matter what we do and what the coaches do and what the athlete does, it's going to be all perfect. People are going to get hurt and people are going to not perform at their best, even when they've done everything right. And I think that that advice to me early on would have been helpful because I think I slept a lot better. So. Yeah. Where were you, where were you four years ago for me? That would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, and that was me for two years when I first got hired in Florida. Cause you know, when you first get your big job, you're like, Oh my God, I don't want to lose this job. Like, like, and that's the wrong mindset. Cause that's not a winning mindset. Like it's not so much about what do I do to lose this job? Like is what do I do to keep the job. What do I do to help move my athletes forward? What do I do to keep progressing? And I think that's once I got into that, that comfort zone, that's where I really started to excel as a, as a sports performance coach. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, one last kind of thing. We'll we'll shut it down here, but um, any resources that you'd recommend? I know I've seen a picture of your bookshelf and uh, you look like you're a bookworm like me. Any resources you got for us, coach? Anything? So there's a book that I really, I, for me, it's, it's straight up Olympic weightlifting, but there's a tactical aspect to the book that I think helps clean up your mindset on certain things and that you can understand that there are a couple of different ways to teach a clean and a snatch. And it, so it's essentials of weightlifting and strength training. It's by L Huey phenomenal. It's a phenomenal, like general resource on Olympic lifting. The, I, you know, I've always loved the high performance uh, strength and conditioning book. I think uh, Bill Foran was part of that book. That's always been a, he's the, he was the editor. I was always been a good, uh, good reader. There's a whole bunch of different professionals in there. So the high performance sports conditioning, it's a nice foundational book. Super training is, is a, is a big read with Mel Sif. I got a bunch of bonder check books that I, that I like to pull out here and there. And then um, a couple of running books from uh, Franz Bosch. So I, those to me are some really good ones. And then, you know, the other thing, as I have an athletic and sport uh, issues and, and muscular skeletal and rehabilitation, that was a big book early on for me. Cause when we're coming at, when we're first coming to a job, you're not going to know everything. We still don't know everything, but there was a good resource for just like injuries. Yeah. So yeah, those yeah. are uh, to me, those are some really good uh, starting points. Thanks coach. Yeah. My pleasure. What, uh, where, if our listeners want to kind of reach out, connect with you, 
have a, another conversation or you can shoot me an email, uh, Matthew D two T's and Matthew, Matthew D at gators.ufl.edu. Awesome. Good. Typically stuff. I get back within, within the afternoon. Good stuff. Coach Hanson, you got anything to add as we kind of wrap the show up today? Anything? No, just again, we've, we've kind of talked about how busy you can be coach Delancey. So I just appreciate you kind of carving out some time for us and, and just talking shop and being transparent. I appreciate you. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. I, I really uh, enjoy this. Yeah. Well, Hey Matt, you are the man and uh, I'm going to use a line from our good friend, Jesse Ackerman. We're going to keep our anger healthy. That's right. right. <laughs> we navigate this pandemic and hopefully get back to normal at some point. Um, so, so one last thing, Donnie. Go for um, it. You and I met initially at the CSCCA conference back in 2005. Yeah, that was at the. I think I did. I did a talk on volleyball that day, and you come up, and you've always been growth mindset, and I've always appreciated that about you. So I, I just want to make sure people know we, we've, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, so. I um. I've always just, uh, from the, the day I've heard you speak and met you, just always been impressed with just how you handle yourself. And uh, you, you're just, you're really good at what you do. And you feel like you're here to help others do that too. So have always respected and admired that about you. So just keep doing that, Matt. Keep, keep helping. Thank you, my man. I appreciate that. That's it. Well, we'll wrap it up from here. Coach Delancey, hopefully uh, we'll see you soon. I'll, I'll be leaving for the bubble in Omaha with volleyball, just like yourself. So yeah. We probably can't get near each other, but we'll at least we'll we'll give air bumps or something, or air like, bump, air fist bump or something, or give each yep. other the look, you know, a smolder look or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mike Hanson, uh, as always, you are awesome uh, co-hosting this and leading it. So appreciate everybody's time and being on. So we'll catch you next month on the Team Behind the Team podcast. Y'all take care. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.